All right, it's good to have some focused attention for the men this evening. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, of course, uh, Ephesians 6.4 is specifically addressed to fathers, and uh, we have the primary responsibility of, of leadership and discipleship within our homes. Of course, our wives have, in some cases, often a lot more, especially with the young ones, a lot more time and a lot more impact just on a daily basis, but it's still our responsibility. And so uh, in this session, even want to make it maybe a little more interactive, feel free to to jump in with questions or comments uh, along the way uh, if you'd like. But uh, just to talk a little bit more in depth uh, from the perspective of, of, of us as fathers and us as men within the context of the church, what our goal is, what our responsibility is, and then even just some practical discussion about what that might look like, uh, both, again, in the home and in corporate worship. I think, uh, you know, I'm, I really emphasize both. You'll, you'll find some movements, some books, some men who really strongly emphasize sort of the family worship at home, and there's less of an emphasis on what happens on the Lord's Day. On the other hand, you'll find some books that are a lot about what's happening in the context of corporate worship, don't really focus a lot on what's happening, you know, in the home. And uh, what I've, I've tried to do is emphasize the necessity of both. You need both. Uh, we can't just expect the discipleship of our children to happen just with what happens on Sunday. Uh, but at the same time, we, uh, you know, we, we can't just expect the discipleship of our children to happen only at home. Uh, we need both. We need the regular um, sustained intentionality within our homes. And that's... that's you know, a lot of different aspects in terms of what we do in our in our homes as families, but I'll spend some attention given to family worship. I don't know how how regular a practice family worship is in many of your homes. I assume it is in, in, in some of your homes, and if not, I want to encourage that definitely to take place, um, maybe some practical discussion of that. But then also on the Lord's Day, how can we be thinking about uh, discipling our children, parenting, fathering our children in the pew? Uh, what are some strategies to help with that as well? So uh, I want to begin with, again, focusing on this, this goal of worship, right? Our goal is to rear up our children, to disciple our children, to be worshipers. And uh, really what I want to emphasize is that the way worship is taught and cultivated within our children is primarily in the context of ordered worship. A lot of times when we approach the subject of corporate worship or maybe even family worship, uh, we tend to view, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to be preaching on worship on Sunday morning, and uh, some of the resources on the book, uh, on the book table back there are, are on the, the broader topic of worship. But if we think in terms of worship with our, with our families, it's really no different. So we often tend to approach the topic of worship assuming that corporate worship is just a bunch of Christians getting together to praise God. Now it is that, but I would suggest that it's far more than that. Uh, It's not just gathering to give authentic expression to worship, but rather the primary purpose of Ordered worship, whether it be corporate worship on the Lord's Day or family worship at dedicated times during the week, the primary purpose of gathered worship is to teach worship or is to 
form worship within us. I think a lot of Christians incorrectly assume that worship is something, proper worship, appropriate worship, is something that just happens automatically. Like if you're a Christian, then whatever you feel is the way that you want to express yourself to the Lord, well, by definition, then that's good. We think that that we just instinctively know that uh, uh, what true appropriate worship ought to be like. But we need to remember that, yes, while, while it is true that Christians are new creatures, we have new hearts, we have new desires, we still have ingrained habits, we still have misguided assumptions many, many times, we still have remaining depravity that needs to be shaped and formed and discipled and sanctified. And that includes with, with our worship. Many people assume that worship just comes naturally. No, worship is something that needs to be taught and sanctified and discipled, just like anything else in the Christian life. And this is certainly true with our children as well. This is the, one of the primary purposes of ordered worship is that those with more Christian maturity structure worship in such a way that it shapes the affections and teachers, teaches others how to worship properly. So this is what happens in the context of a local church. As we read a few moments ago in Ephesians chapter 4, God has gifted churches with pastors and teachers who then equip the church for the work of ministry. And one of the ways that that happens is through how the leaders of the church shape the corporate gatherings of the church. And how they shape the corporate gathering then shapes the people. And this is likewise uh, very much true with how fathers shape the family worship in our homes. We as fathers shape what happens in those gatherings of family worship, and then those gatherings of family worship then, day after day after day, progressively shape our children. And that's how we need to view what we're doing. We're not just getting together to authentically praise the Lord. I mean, yes, we want that to happen. But we need to approach, we fathers, you know, sometimes the Puritans would, you know, would describe us as, as pastors of our little flocks, right? Not in the technical sense, but in a more metaphorical sense. We fathers need to approach what we're doing in family worship through the lens that everything that we're doing is shaping our children. So very practically, if we come to our family worship times, you know, we've got to do this, and we're grumpy, and we're shouting a lot, <laughs> that itself is shaping our children, right? So everything matters. We might get truth into their heads through, we're going to read the Bible, and we're going to go through our catechism, and we're going to make sure we do this stuff. Yes and amen, we need to do all that stuff. But the way in which we do that matters because it's also shaping our children. So let's dive a little deeper into what's at stake here. We need to realize, and, and we touched on this just a little bit in terms of intellectual knowledge in the, in the message earlier, but, but this is also true in terms of the broader sense of worship. We need to realize that children learn how to worship often far earlier than even learning whom to worship. In other words, from the earliest of our ages, even uh, our children's ages, even before our children even have the intellectual comprehension of knowing who God is, 
they're already being impacted by what is happening in our family worship and in our corporate worship in terms of how it is shaping their perception of what worship is, ought to be like. And that's important for us to recognize as well. I think a lot of times parents and churches fall into the trap, again, of thinking, well, our, our children are too young to grasp the nature of God, the nature of sin and wrath, and the nature of Christ and atonement. They're too young to intellectually comprehend that. So let's just throw them off to another room where they can play some games and color some pictures and just be entertained. Failing to recognize that even even our infants, even our toddlers, even at the youngest ages, before they are able to comprehend the nature of God and sin and Christ, they're still being impacted by the reverence of the service. They're still being impacted by the fervency with which we approach worship. They're being impacted by the music, to be sure. They're being impacted by the attention we give to the reading and preaching of God's words, of God's word. Children are learning how to worship before they can even comprehend what is going on. They're learning to worship God by observation, by participation. Children first learn God by learning what reverent love is like. Children learn to reverence God by first learning how to reverence. Children learn to fear God by first learning how to fear. So let me give you an illustration of this. Uh, Years ago, we rented from the library uh, a kind of video teaching curriculum for, for French. So we thought, hey, I think our oldest, again, was probably five at the time. And we thought, hey, well, these are sort of immersion videos that teach children French. So they would have this, like, cartoon, and the cartoon characters only spoke in French. And then there was a booklet that went along with it that then had the printed words of the French along with the pictures that corresponded to the video. Well, what was really fascinating is, you know, my son Caleb, who's now 17, He watched those videos, and he had the book in front of him, and it was just, again, it was full immersion. They were just speaking French, and you kind of figured out what what they were saying, you know, uh, just by watching. Well, what what was really fascinating is after watching those videos several times, I found him one day on the couch. The video wasn't even on, and he was just flipping the pages in the book, and he was like speaking French words. He didn't know what he was saying. He didn't quite, he couldn't tell you this word means that. But even his accent was French. He just picked it up. And really, in many, in many ways, the, the sensibilities and affections, things you often can't quite put into words, like, like what is reverence? Put that into words. Or what is biblical love that is appropriate to God? You know, put that into precise words. We often have a hard time putting that into words. Why? Because words are often not precise enough to really articulate those things. Those kinds of things, reverence, love, biblical joy, worship, those kinds of things are taught through immersion. And and children, even at a very young age, can begin to learn the language of worship even before 
they learn what worship actually is. And so, of course, as soon as possible, we want to start to teach them about who God is, God as creator, what sin is, what judgment is, and want to teach them about Christ and forgiveness of sins through his blood atonement, absolutely, as, as early as we can. But even before that, we can begin to shape our children's perception of who God is and what he is like and what it means to, appro- uh, to appropriately respond to him and, uh, and approach him in, in reverent adoration and worship. Because really, think about it, what's at stake? Our children are born wanting to worship themselves, right? Our children are born selfish, and if we don't begin to counteract that, then that's naturally what they're, what they're going to do. And unfortunately, again, this is what happens in a lot of churches where we just send our kids off to be entertained, and then we wonder why when they grow to be teens and adults that they just want to be entertained in church. Well, again, we have shaped them. We have shaped their sensibilities and affections and hearts to see church in a certain way, to see God in a certain way. We've trained them to see these things as as really self-focused, and it's about what I want and what pleases me and my comfort, rather than, from the earliest ages, shape them to view reverence and adoration and these sorts of things through a biblical lens, again, through that sort of immersion. So let's talk about how we, we might do that at home. Again, I don't know how many of your families regularly fam- uh, worship together uh, as families. Hopefully you do. Uh, if you do, maybe this will give you some other thoughts or some emphases or just to encourage you. And if you don't, uh, uh, maybe maybe it's maybe you've tried and and it's and you've you, you've found yourself uh, running into roadblocks. Sometimes there can be challenges. Maybe some of this discussion will help as well. Uh, in our home, we we started probably when Caleb was uh, about two, just sort of realized, hey, we we really need to make a priority of this, and uh, so we started. We we called it Bible time, and we still call it that to this day. And it's just a time when we can gather together, and we've done a number of different things over the years. You know, how what it's looked like has definitely uh, shifted and changed, uh, depending on the ages of our kids and all of that. But there are certain things that have remained consistent, certain things that I want to emphasize as important, as essential, uh, and then maybe make some comments about some other things as well. So what, what are the essential elements, and, and, and when, you know, what, when should we gather in these sorts of things? Well, I don't, I don't know that there's a... Uh, a set time that's mandated for gathering. Uh, for us, we it's usually the last thing that we do before our youngest children uh, uh, go to bed. Of course, the older kids are going to stay up later than that. But I, I like that because it allows them to sort of calm themselves after the day's craziness. And I love it too because then what's the what's on their mind as they drift off? It's, the, it's those things that we've talked about uh, just before they've gone to bed. But you know, other other families might find that after dinner works best, or, or maybe in the morning. Time isn't really what's, what, what's most essential. What really matters, again, is that, is that we set, a time, set aside time for worship, and then what elements we include. And again, I'll talk about some optional things that we've done, uh, found helpful, beneficial for our kids in a moment. But uh, from, from, from my perspective, there are three primary elements that we want to make sure that we are including in our in our times of family worship. Scripture reading, singing, and prayer. 
those three elements, uh, I would say, are essential. And if you manage to do those three, and it'll have to be complicated, we'll talk about that in a moment. If you manage to do those three things, then you, then you have done significant benefit for your children. Um, remember, this is not the only spiritual impact, of course, you're going to have on your kids. Everything that we do in, in, our, in the context of our families is impacting them, and certainly what we do, what we do on the Lord's Day. But setting aside time for focused Bible reading, singing, and prayer is, again, a time in which we're giving our children a love of Scripture. We are showing them what our priorities are. I mean, that in itself is powerful. You know, what are our priorities? The Word of God, gathering together for prayer, for singing and Scripture, or the football game, or this activity, that activity, right? Leisure, entertainment. We want to, at very minimum, emphasize and impact our kids with just the priority of setting aside time for at least these three elements. So let's talk about each of these in turn. Bible reading. Of course, Bible reading could take a number of different forms, uh, and it, is, it's, it changes as the children's ages change. Uh, and we've, we've gone through two sort of phases of this. There's, there's, we, had, we had two, Caleb and Kate, who are two years apart, and then we had a seven-year break, uh, did a PhD in, in there somewhere, and then, uh, and then two more younger kids. So we kind of went, went through two phases where we started with just you know, very simple Bible reading at a, at a young age, kind of worked up to reading more and more and more uh, for our older kids and got to a place where we were spending a lot more time. And then we had the two younger ones, and so we kind of backtracked and went back to, to reading more simple things together as a family. The Bible reading is so, so important. Um, you know, it could be as simple as reading a few verses, reading a chapter. Um, I, uh, there, there are, there's benefits sometimes to using, you know, what, for lack of a better word, you know, children's Bible storybooks. I'm, I'm leery of, again, silly ones, right? And, and most of what's out there is sort of silly and trite and trivial. Uh, one of the best that I know is uh, a book, a Bible, children's Bible called The Children's Story book, Children's Story Bible, I forget which is which, by Catherine Voss, uh, Gerhardus Voss's wife, and it's fantastic. There's no silly pictures, there's no uh, pictures of Christ, in, in, in fact, there's very little pictures, and they're just faithful summaries of Bible stories, in fact, often quoting large portions of actual scripture and some application. We've, we've read through that several times with our family. Uh, Banner of Truth just recently republished it, and it's a very nice, nice edition. So we've, we've used that with, with uh, when we've had very young kids, can be very beneficial uh, to sort of to summarize and apply the Bible for our kids. But I think as quickly as possible, you want to, to, to read the actual Word of God and uh, get the Word of God before your children so that they are hearing it, so that they are being shaped by it. And again, not just its content, because you might have younger kids and think, well, they don't understand what I'm reading. Well, that's okay. They probably, A, understand more than you think, but B, just the way in which you revere the Word as you read it, the attention that you give to the Word, that is already shaping their hearts, that is already shaping their, their conceptions of, uh, of the Word of God and, and God himself. Their, their perception is being is being shaped. Uh, there, the number of number of things might influence what you read um, at, at various stages in our uh, 
family worship time, we'll just read through the Bible, one chapter at a time, just working through the text of Scripture, exposing our children to the text. Uh, oftentimes, we'll often try to incorporate as well, if we know the, the passage that, that's going to be preached on the coming Lord's Day, maybe on a Saturday evening, we'll just take a break from our normal schedule and we'll read the passage for the next day. That can be a wonderful thing, especially for young children, if you've already spent time reading the text, maybe pointing out a few things from the text, then the next day when that text is read and, and preached in the service, they're going to be more likely to intentionally listen. And this is a principle that I uh, have found often very helpful, uh, and that is trying to connect what we're doing in family worship during the week with our worship in the Lord's Day gathering. Again, trying not to pit Sunday and, you know, church and family against each other, but seeing them as, as working well together. And the more you can do to prepare your kids for the Lord's Day and what you're doing in family worship during the week, the more successful the Lord's Day gathering is going to be, especially for the youngest of children. I often have, have parents come up to me in our own church or in other settings and say, you know, my kids are just really struggling to sit still and listen on Sunday in the service. You know, do you have any advice? And I can tell you nine times out of ten, the, the kids that have the hardest time on the Lord's Day, it's because the family's not regularly gathering during the week. And that's not always the case, and all kids have their squirmy days, right? Um, it's, just, it's just natural to a, to a kid. But the more that we can connect the two, the better. And so uh, at least on maybe Saturday evening, reading the passage for the next day can be a wonderful, uh, can be a wonderful thing. Again, reading one chapter at a time, number, number of different strategies uh, there. Number two, singing. So I think most, most families will, if they have a uh, time of family worship, will recognize we ought to be reading the Bible. But do we sing? Let me encourage you, especially fathers, Sing, sing, sing. Make it a priority. Uh, you, you men know that singing is not cool in our culture, you know, unless maybe you're at a ball game and probably inebriated, right? Uh, but, but singing, a lot of you know, men, young boys, especially teenage boys, don't really view singing as something that is masculine. But, you know, I want to say, well, let's, let me introduce you to David, the warrior king who is the sweet psalmist of Israel, right? There's nothing more masculine than singing. Men, we need to recover that. Again, I, I use my son as an example. He's never known that it's not cool to sing. He's 17 years old, and he sings at the top of his lungs, you know, in, in church. He doesn't know otherwise because we've just always sung, and he has a dad who sings loudly and robustly. Uh, men, we need to teach our boys to sing. We need to teach our boys that it is manly to sing, that there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Now, you might say, well, I'm not very musical. Uh, you know, maybe you didn't, you didn't grow up singing. I've heard that, you know. Oh, I didn't grow up singing. It's just not my thing. Okay, so think with me a moment for the, you know, with, with that excuse. Let's say you get a man who comes into your church. He's converted. And then you hear him say, well, I was never taught to read. It's just not my thing. So I'm not going to teach my kids to read. Right? What would you say to that? You would say, no, reading the Bible at minimum is commanded. So if you weren't taught to read, okay, I get it. It's not your fault. But now you need to do everything you can to learn the skills of reading and then pass those skills on to your children. 
Men, the same is true with singing. Singing is not optional. Singing is not just something we do if, we're, if we happen to be inclined to music. No, we have clear commands in Scripture, clear commands in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, that we must be singing. Sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So if you were never taught to sing, you didn't grow up singing, okay, fine, it's not your fault, but now you need to do whatever it takes to learn the skills of singing and then pass those on to your children, particularly your, your boys. Don't, don't make the same mistake that maybe was done with you. So there, you know, we maybe in years gone by, it, it might have been harder. In, in, in our day and age, there are so many resources that can help you with even just how to sing, but particularly with, with him singing uh, in your home. Um, there, there's a wonderful website and app. It's an app on iPhone, and then it, you can, there's, it's a web app if you have Android. Uh, it's called Sing Your Part. Just Google it. They've got almost every conceivable hymn in there and, you know, tunes. Um, G3, we just published a a Psalter hymnal uh, in October. It has all 150 psalms plus another 350 or so hymns in one volume. The whole hymnal is in singer part, and then there are several more hymnals in there as well. And the nice thing is you find any hymn, you can hit play, it'll play the music for you, and if you maybe maybe you you're, you're you're you sing well enough that you can sing the melody, but you want to start learning how to sing parts, well, you can. It has all four parts in the app: soprano, which is the melody; alto, which is the lower ladies' part; tenor, which is the higher men's part; and bass, which is the lower men's part. You can drag these sliders down, and you can maybe pull the melody down and make the tenor a little louder so you can hear the tenor and you can learn the tenor part. And it's a wonderful, wonderful tool, not only just for singing together as a family, but also for preparing for singing on the Lord's Day. So again, if you know the hymns that are coming up on Sunday, pull them up on Sing Your Part, and you can, if, you don't, if you don't know the hymn at all, you can learn it ahead of time. If you already know the hymn, learn the tenor part, learn the bass part, you know, add to the beauty and variety of singing. But that's just a wonderful tool. Another tool, uh, in we have a, an app called G3 Plus. We recorded live piano accompaniments for all of the psalms and hymns in Psalms and Hymns of the Living God. So you can pull that up. You can connect it to Bluetooth, to a Bluetooth speaker. And there in your family, you've got piano accompaniments. So if you're, you know, if you're not really musically inclined, at least you've got something there that can support your singing as you sing as a family. So many tools you can use. Let me urge you, get copies of your hymnal, get copies of your Psalter, have them at home. Sing with your family. Again, this is a wonderful thing to do with your children, especially when they're younger. We did this when, when especially our, our older kids were younger, where we, I knew what the hymns were going to be on Sunday. So we sang those hymns throughout the week leading up to the Lord's Day so that by the time, by the time we got to the Sunday service, they already knew them. And so the kids are more likely to sing uh, those those songs on 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 the Lord's Day, so sing sing sing. So important, cannot stress it uh, more uh, more than I than I have. We need to be singing as families, and then third, prayer. Right, prayer is so important uh, to have at least a, a time of dedicated prayer. Have have a list of prayer requests from from your church family, things you're praying about. Uh, lead your family as the Father 
but uh, involve the other members of your family too uh, on occasion. So important to have have prayer. Really, if, if you have those three elements, Bible reading, singing, and prayer, then you've done very well. That's, that, those are the essential points. I think a stumbling block to a lot of dads is trying to make family worship too complicated. You don't need to preach a five-point sermon. It doesn't need to be an hour and a half long, you know, especially when you have younger kids. I, I've got a, a father right now in our church. He's just, he's really frustrated. He's got a, you know, like a four-year-old and a six-year-old boy. He's like, you know, I'm just having such a hard time at home. And I'm like, what are you doing? Well, I sit him down and I'm trying to read like, you know, two or three chapters of the Bible. Whoa, 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 whoa. Your, your boys are young. Start, start simple, you know. Again, you, you want to, to make this a time of rich, warm family time around the Word of God and singing and prayer because that is influencing your children. You don't want them to see it as a burden, as a legalistic rule. Uh, even, you know, in our family, you know, if, if we maybe are, you know, on a Wednesday night we've been at prayer meeting or, or we've, we've been over someone's house and we get home late, I'm not going to sit down and say, okay, we need to have an hour-long time of family worship now, you know. At minimum, we'll sit down and, and, and pray, maybe read a few verses and, and sing a short doxology, you know, something short, just again for the priority and the discipline of it. But, but be sensitive. You, you don't want your children to see the Word of God and singing and prayer as a legalistic burden. You want them to conceive of it as it is, and that is a, a delight to our souls. So those three elements are essential. And then, of course, as, as time allows and as your children are older, uh, there are many other things that, that we have included at various stages and that are, that are beneficial. I mean, more, more extended discussion of the scripture passage that you read. You know, at minimum, I might ask the younger kids a couple questions about what we read. Um, as they grow older, you can have, have more discussion you know, as, as, as issues raise up, uh, uh, arise from the text and these sorts of things. Uh, can be a wonderful, wonderful time. But again, it's not necessary. You only have a limited time. Your children are younger. Don't, don't feel like you have, we need to have an in-depth conversation about this passage. You know, yeah, if you can, that, that's a wonderful thing. But just, just reading the Bible in and of itself can be, can be a great uh, impact. Uh, catechism. Catechisms have been wonderful time-tested tools for uh, instructing our children through questions and answers. And let me encourage you to, to integrate that into your family. A wonderful time to teach them biblical doctrine. Um, I, I produced a, um, a devotional aid a number of years ago. I don't have any copies here, but it's called Tune My Heart. And uh, it's a, it's a, it takes, takes you through all of the major narratives and psalms and proverbs of Scripture. And then with each, so it's a Bible reading plan five days a week, so it kind of gives you Saturday and Sunday to catch up if, if, if you get behind. And then with each of the assigned readings, I sort of developed a little summary paragraph and then some questions, a Bible memory, a hymn to sing, and that can be a wonderful aid. You know, a lot of, a lot of dads, again, get a little worried, like, well, I'm not sure I'm equipped or I don't know what to do. Well, there, there's a resource that you can use. And then in addition to that, I developed a 52-week catechism that pulls from Westminster and Spurgeon's Catechism and Heidelberg and, and several others, but I intentionally made it 52 weeks so that you can, you can do it in one year with one question a week, 
and then keep going back and reviewing those, and they really become sort of infused in the minds and hearts of, of the kids. So we as a family now will actually do 10 questions a day now that we've done it for many, many years. And so within the course of one week, we're, you know, we'll do 12 on the last day. We're, we're getting all 52 every week and just reinforcing biblical doctrine. Catechism is a wonderful thing. Um, and again, we don't do it every night. If we have lim- limited time, I at minimum want to read scripture, sing, and pray. But if we have a little extra time, um, or if it's, if it's a normal evening, we'll do Bible memory, obviously can be a wonderful thing. Uh, and then reading other books, reading devotional books, reading doctrinal books. We've done these at various stages, not to replace Scripture, but as supplement to Scripture can be a wonderful time to, uh, to instruct uh, your children as well. And again, I want to emphasize, whenever you can, use your family worship to help your uh, children prepare for corporate worship. There are many ways to do that through reading the passage that is coming, through scripture, you know, uh, through singing the, the, the hymns that are coming. But even especially with young children, use family worship to prepare them just practically. You know, even, even with just little reminders like, okay, let's, you know, here you're sitting on your couch or whatever, right? And uh, just say, okay, let's, let's pretend it's Sunday and let's, let's practice, right? You know, how are we supposed to behave? What are we supposed to do? Uh, if you have a question, should you say it loudly? You know, you know, just try, you're instructing your kids to prepare them for what's, for what's coming on the Lord's Day. Uh, and, 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 of course, if you know, something goes awry in your living room, it's not as, as distracting as, as what happens on, on Sunday. And, and one of the benefits of this, too, is, is incorporate things that you do on Sunday. Every church might be different. There might, there's, you know, there's some elements that might be unique to your church. Uh, try to model things that you do in your church's worship service during the week in your family worship. And again, that can be great uh, preparation for, um, for the Lord's Day. And then, uh, you know, how long? Again, depends on the age of your kids. If you've got young kids and you get, you know, you read some verses of Scripture, sing a hymn and pray, and, it, and it's 12, 15 minutes, that's wonderful. You are shaping your children. As they get older and you have more time, uh, take it, but but the the time is not so important. Rather, what you're doing and the emphasis is what is critical. And then we always end our our worship with uh, each evening with a a round. It's all praise to Thee, my God, this night. It was actually written uh, for a, a, a Christian orf- orphanage um, in the 17th century, and uh, it's always the last thing we do before the kids go to bed. A wonderful wonderful time of singing praise to the Lord, and, and hopefully that's what's on their minds and hearts as they drift off to sleep uh, each evening. So I can't emphasize strongly enough the importance of making, setting aside time for worship with your family, taking that leadership as a father. And, and this is so important that as fathers we do take this leadership. I just had a, um, a, a visited a, a family in the church where I'm an elder recently and try to encourage them for fam- you know to, to do family worship and they they acknowledge it's kind of on, been on and off for them and then uh, the next the next week the, the the wife just mentioned to me sort of privately that she's really been trying to encourage this but but you know she, she just said can you can you help my husband you know kind of maybe urge him to take some leadership our wives want this our, our wives should not be the ones leading this. Uh, we ought to be leading, leading our families in this. Of course, if we're, we're out of town, we're away, 
We want our, we want our wives to, to take the lead with our children, but men, we need to be leading in this. Okay, so that's, that's uh, worship during the week. But what about, what about Sunday? What are, what are some ways that we should approach this? Again, having our children here in, in the church, in worship, is critically important. Uh, we'd, we, our kids should never even think to ask, hey, are, are we going to church tomorrow? I mean, our, it should, shouldn't even be a question that our kids even fathom, right? Because of course we are. So having them here is so important. But, but just having them here and then just thinking, okay, yeah, they're here, that's good enough, I've done my job. Well, no, we need to father our children in the pew. We need to parent our children in the pew. And this involves both, as we've already alluded to a little bit, preparing them for what's coming Sunday, and then in the back end, debriefing from what happened on Sunday. For sure, everything that's happening in the service is benefiting them. It is shaping them in some way. But we can even further add to the benefit, the, the discipleship benefit of what's happening in the, in the gatherings of the church by what we do leading up to Sunday, how we, how we prepare for Sunday, and then what we do after Sunday. And really, preparation for Sunday starts Monday, right? As soon as we can, we ought to be thinking about what's coming. Uh, again, if you, if you know the passage that's going to be preached, if you know any of the hymns that are going to be sung, uh, prepare your children ahead of time. Sing those things, read those things, talk about those things that they're already on their minds and hearts. Again, practice sitting quietly, practice listening, and these sorts of things to prepare them for what's coming on the Lord's Day. And then really, uh, I think Saturday becomes a time of intensified preparation. Uh, Your family worship on Saturday ought to really anticipate what's coming the next day. Um, Prepare for, for what's coming. But even just practically speaking, um, you know, there, there, are enough, there are enough things that are going to happen on Sunday morning, right? We who have kids know this, right? There are enough things that are going to go wrong, that are going to you know, create problems, that are going to distract us. So let's do everything we can to avoid those sorts of things. You know, lay out the clothes ahead of time, just practical things. You know, find the socks, find the shoes, get things, get things prepared. Uh, you're, 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 not only are you practically you know, trying to avoid any problems, but you're also, once again, emphasizing to your children, we don't do this with any other day of the week. You know, maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you get everything out the, the night before. But, but Saturday night, we, we get ready. Right? Tomorrow's the Lord's Day. Tomorrow's a special day. Tomorrow's the day when we get to gather with our local church. And so we're going to plan ahead. We're going to get things ready. We're going to prepare. Um, this, is a, this is a special day. Uh, Sunday morning then becomes a, a, a wonderful time of preparation, should be a, a time of anticipation. We always you know, play sacred music as the kids get up and eat and, and, uh, and, and prepare for the day. Uh, they need to see that as a special day. They need to see that as a, as a day set aside unto the Lord. This is the, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We often quote that verse. And we often use that for every day of the week, and it's true. Every day is is the Lord's, you know, is the uh, a day unto the Lord ought to be done for His, for his glory. Uh, but that verse in particular is talking about the day on which the Lord rose from the dead. The Lord's day is a day set aside, special unto the Lord, just like the Lord's supper. Right? It's the same grammatical construction. Every supper 
ought to be eaten unto the Lord, right? Every supper is the Lord's supper, whether you eat, drink, or whatsoever you do. But there is a supper that is a set-apart supper, the Lord's supper, right? And it's the same for the Lord's day, and this is what we need to teach our kids. Again, not just intellectually, you need to understand this, this is a special day, right? No, but with how we approach it, by the kinds of things we say, have joy, right? Sunday morning is not the time to be grumpy. It's the time to be joyful, and that is shaping your children's perception of the Lord's day. And so let's set this day aside, and let's emphasize this to our children. Uh, get, to, get to the church early. Slip in last minute. Slip in the back row. No, show your children this is a priority. Show children you're excited to gather with the church. Show the children that you love to be with the people of God so you get there early so you can spend more time with them. Uh, You know, come into the service, prepare uh, for the service. And again, this is where even with, especially with younger children, you can really prepare them. Um, You know, open the bulletin, see what the hymns, the hymns are coming. Make sure the kids all have their Bibles ready, have their, they have their hymnals ready. They maybe even have bookmarks uh, placed in there so that they know, they know what's coming. Do everything you can to prepare Uh, to prepare your children for a successful service. Because again, natural depravity and other unexpected things are inevitably going to get in the way. So do everything you can to prepare for the things that you can anticipate so that it will be a a, a joyful time and a time in which your children can really benefit with that sort of intentionality. And then there are things we can even do in the service to actively engage with our children. Of course, we're not going to have conversations. We're not going to distract them. But, uh, you know, uh, if you have young children, point out in the service where, where we are so they know. Uh, even, you know, brief whispers of things. Hey, we're praying now, you know. I remember when our kids were really young, I would do that. Because we taught them at home, when you pray, we bow our head in respect, we close our eyes so we're not distracted. So they might not be following the service. They might not realize we're praying. So just a, a soft whisper, we're praying now, you know, can, can be a real help um, to, to help them engage with with what is happening. Um, we want to help them to focus. We want to help them in ben- benefit in, uh, in, the, in the best ways we can. During the sermon, you know, help them to find the passage of Scripture. Uh, I, you know, it's a wonderful thing to give them some paper and maybe a pen and at the earliest of ages, maybe teach them ahead of time that they can maybe draw something that they hear. As they begin to learn how to write, they can begin to draw some words. Um, often I would... Uh, you know, draw or write some words from the sermon, you know, love, Jesus, you know, sin, something on my own notes. And then there, you know, the, the one sitting next to me who's just learning how to write can just copy what I've written, right? There are, there are many different things, no, no one right thing to do, uh, but many different ways that we can engage our children in what's happening on the Lord's Day. The bottom line is, again, like I emphasize many times, as, uh, as, as Pastor Scott emphasized a moment ago, intentionality, intentionality. Again, there's no magic formula. Every child is different, right? We know this. What works with one child is not going to work with the other child. What worked with that child, five minutes, will not work any longer, right? I mean, parenting is hard. It just is. There's no, there's no secret formula. There's no magic sauce. The same is certainly true when it comes to family worship and worship on the Lord's Day. The point is intentionality, preparation, and consistency. And if we do those things, then we are doing what the Lord commanded us to do. We are rearing our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord 
so that we can disciple them into mature worshipers. That, that is our goal. So hopefully that's an encouragement to you, and we can have some more practical discussion uh, in the Q&A to follow. But hopefully, again, if, if you are doing these sorts of things, uh, I commend you for that. Keep up the good work. Be encouraged. Your efforts are not in vain. And if you haven't been doing some of these things, maybe, maybe recommit yourself to do this. Read the scriptures with your family. Sing with your family. Pray with your family. Prepare for the Lord's Day, and you will reap the great benefits and blessings uh, with your own children. All right, let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for this responsibility we have as fathers. We pray that we would take that responsibility seriously and lead our families in the worship of your holy name in our homes regularly, daily, and then as we prepare for the worship on on your day. And we pray that our, our labors would not be in vain, that your word would not return void as you have said, and that we'd see the word implanted in the hearts and minds of our children for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.